Hey guys, sorry I'm getting this one out late. After two years of deathly avoiding it, I finally got hit with the coronavirus. I do not recommend it to anyone. Thankfully, I was vaxxed and boosted, so I'm doing very well now, but uh, it was a tough slog for a few days. Well, we're back now with Greg McDougall. This is part two of my conversation with him. We get into a lot more of the nitty gritty of being a freelance artist and working in the film world as kind of a grunt. He's a fascinating guy. I really, really have grown to like him a lot. The more I've gotten to know him over time. Uh, he and I were just texting again today, and uh, he's currently working on a movie with Barbara Crampton, so that's pretty cool. Keep an eye out for a new gig from her. I'm sure she'll be writing about it in her Fangoria articles. Uh, you know, let's just get on with the interview again. When you, especially as a freelance artist, when you get gigs like uh, Black Panther 2, where you know it's going to be steady work and I'm going to get the paycheck and I don't have to worry about anything else for that time, those probably make up for those small films where you are in control, but spending, you know, you, like you say, you're running around like crazy and wearing yourself mm -hmm. out. That, does that help offset that a little bit and make up for it and give you those breathers? It does. But as crazy as it sounds, um, anytime I start working on those big budget things again, I always want to go back to the uh, smaller budgeted things where I have more creative control. Yeah. It's so stupid. I know it's stupid because then when I'm working on those smaller things, I'll be like, man, I wish I could be on, you know, Walking Dead for two weeks where I don't have to worry about anything. And I've got a million drawers of different appliances to pull from. And I've got all the paint and makeup I need because they provide it for you because they want everything to be consistent, you know, right. with, uh, certain colors and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah, I'm, it's one or the other. It's always like, I can never make up my damn mind. You know, I'm on one thing. I want the other. It's typical yeah. stupid artist, uh, you know, <laughs> thought process going on, you know, it sucks, you know, never being happy, but it's, it's, it's all right. It's all right. I, I can, you know, but, uh, the most important thing too, is, um, being able to, you know, provide for the family. Right. So sure. any job I look at too, I'm always like, okay, you know, my kids, you know, every, every, everybody's good. Everybody's, you know, you know, we got the roof over our head, you know, they can kids have all the <laughs> winter clothes. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, it's so funny, you know, your priorities kind of change over the mm -hmm. years. And yeah, once you get kids, right. You're like, right. got to do what's right. Got to take yeah. care of them. So now, so that plays a big role too. That's Absolutely. probably the only reason I said yes to black uh, Panther too, is because it's like, well, <laughs> it's gotta do this. Gotta do it. Yeah. I'm not living by myself anymore. So yeah. <laughs> um let's talk a little bit about that fine line between makeup and special effects um, okay because it is and i i think i know like when i was first getting fangoria magazines and pouring over them and everything it 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 all blurred for me and it wasn't until years later that i realized oh special effects are different than just makeup makeup is its own thing makeup can be kind of a broad spectrum of things but when we get into special effects where do you think that divide starts to happen i think that uh it's it's kind of interesting because there's a lot of people that can glue on an appliance you know mm -hmm. just a rubber appliance and but they're considered they, they consider themselves to be a makeup artist you know mm -hmm. um special effects makeup artists i think it kind of comes in where you're also not only able to glue on that stuff but you can build it too mm -hmm. you know and that's that's a big one for me because I, i'm old school i feel that 
you got to know it all. You have mm-hmm. to. And besides, why wouldn't you not want to? It's fun to build the stuff. Well, yeah. when, when you have more than four days to make a creature, it's, you know, it's, it can be fun. You know, yeah. it can be fun. It can be. Um, but uh, also, you know, as far as like other special effects stuff, I mean, let's, let's say like someone needs a full size dead body and it's got to be a prop. It's not, a, mm-hmm. a, 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 you know, an actor lying on the floor with makeup on. It's an actual fake body. It's like, okay, well, who makes this stuff? Is this the special effects guy? You know, and some special effects people would have stock bodies they would provide to productions and stuff, maybe a rental house, but makeup effects people, since their skill set is so high and they know about casting and molding and sculpting, it kind of became a more of a makeup effects, uh, you know, thing to do. Mm -hmm. So now makeup effects companies are even doing the types of things that maybe at one time just special effects people did, you know? Um, because the skill set is such that it's, you know, we know what it takes to make that stuff. Mm-hmm. And in fact, ours will probably almost always look better than some rental company or some, you know, special effects company that does maybe their main bread and butter is more stuff like atmospheric effects, like fire, wind, fog, explosions, mm-hmm. bullet hits, fake blood on occasion, but they're not makeup effects guys, but they right. do kind of dabble in the stuff that we might do. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of weird. Sometimes the lines get a little blurred, you know, sometimes yeah. it gets a little blurred to this, to this day, you know, mm-hmm. um, even that last production I was telling you about, they, they went to me for all their things that had to be glued on the people in May, but they didn't go to me for things that weren't glued on the people. They went to another special effects company for like other certain props. And I kept saying, guys, I can do all of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> all of it. I, I, but I, I think, I think certain productions, they just don't, they don't really understand that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't expect them to, but well, I expect them to, when I tell them right. <laughs> that, that I can do it, but you know, whatever. Um, I did enough for them. I probably didn't need to add to my list, but um, so I was I don't say, to are you sure question. you wanted to? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it was, it was rough. It was really rough. It was rough. no, it, it does. It does. And it's, and I think it's an important distinction because I think too often they just all get mashed together into one thing. And they're very different skill sets, really, even though they're related, um, they are very different. Like you say, being able to build those, build up, uh, uh, you know, whatever it is, whether you wanted to give somebody a, not just a black eye, but a swollen black eye. And you want to build that out either with, uh, I mean, if you're going to build it out with a latex appliance, are you going to just build it out organically on the person with like, Dermawax or something. I don't sure. even know if Dermawax is still used, but um, they still make it. I, they still the, make it. All the FX stuff I know uh, begins and ends from about 1985 to 1989. So that that was my era of really being ensconced in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Okay. <That's>, uh, <laughs> I know they use silicon now and all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, you know, you know, absolutely. But I, it is, it's, and it's, I think it's an interesting distinction too, to, to go between making someone uh, appear natural on camera mm-hmm. to making someone appear natural, but um, either, I don't know how to say it, natural, but unnatural, either disfigured or um, sure. abnormal an injury. in some way yeah. that will throw that, that takes away the um, what we expect to see in a human, I guess I would say, whereas a makeup tries to get you to the idea of the ideal human, like that ideal yes. face working with that symmetry and everything, 
in effects, you're basically trying to dismantle that. Would that that's a good way to put it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. Yeah. And then sometimes we're, you know, obviously we might be asked to uh well, to take that same beautiful face and somebody has to look like a hundred years old. What do you mm-hmm. do? You know? And yeah. So, I mean, now we're seeing digital old age makeups, which I think is just a little it's, silly. They it's, look it's, like cutscenes from video games. There's yeah. nothing about them that looks real. No, um, no. I, I don't know who originally said it, but um, I heard it on Gilbert Godfrey said it on his podcast that um, he said, digital effects look real but feel fake practical effects look fake but feel real and Ah. i think that's a that's a really good way to kind of distinguish those two that makes sense yeah it's a it's um it is and it is a feel um you know i i can't remember which of the star wars we went to see but they brought out um peter cushing as a digital model and i was i was i already was taken out of the film i wasn't really there for it anyway it was pretty lousy but when that happened i'm like you've got to be fucking kidding me first off the dude's dead (laughs) let him be dead right right there is some ethical (laughs) gray area there but also it just looked awful it it looked like i said a video game cutscene to me is what it looked like was happening um Whereas when I a, see it was a good a, attempt, it was a good attempt, but not quite there yet. Yeah, you're yeah. nicer than me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you slaughtered it. It was right? a you're really like... shitty, lousy attempt. But... <laughs> but when I see that in a in a practical effect, when they use prosthetics and makeup to make someone look like Nixon, I'm going to buy that a lot more. I'm going to be. I'm going to. I'm going to fall into that suspension of disbelief I need to then. Be in that movie, follow that character, get the empathy I need for that character or or abhorrence I need for that character. If I'm not being off put just simply because it looks weird and, and waxy and unnatural to me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, since you had mentioned that, um, interestingly enough, in uh, the George Lucas Revenge of the Sith, now George, George is all about the digital technology, but yes. even in that movie, that last trilogy and the very disappointing prequels, right? Um, mm-hmm. they, did a, uh, they did a Grand Moff Tarkin makeup. They did a Peter Cushing lookalike for, it was a very, very brief scene mm-hmm. and it worked, you know? It yeah. wasn't exactly like what he would look like because I mean, nobody has that kind of face, you know? I mean, right. he had a very unique face, but it was a really cool attempt to do it with prosthetics and i thought man why couldn't they have done that and and the reason is i think they just they want to keep pushing the technology that's really what it's about you know yeah um i mean i think that stuff would have worked actually if they would have kept him more maybe in shadow or the first time you see him he's looking you see his reflection in a window and it's like okay why did they just do that mm-hmm. keep the reflection his back is turned you see the back but yeah. you see his reflection in the window I bought that, but you're yeah. right. The moment he spins around, you're like, "Hey, oh, something's yeah. not right here," you know. <laughs> and it's too, it's too bad because it was a cool idea, but damn, it just they couldn't do it. They couldn't does it, do it. Does it come to budget also? I think so, but I mean, um, I think that it also comes up to you know, I mean, like if there's a certain like technology available or, or a programmer, maybe like the head visual effects guy is like, "Hey, you know what? I think we can do this. Let's do this." Mm-hmm. You know, it's all this stuff that goes on behind the scenes, you know, I mean, it all, it all plays, um, you know, some kind of uh, mm-hmm. 
upon the decision making for why certain things are done the way they are you know don't yeah. really know it's uh yeah i don't know i have no idea why they did it like that but what about when you're dealing like um in the the movie creature where um you were a tech yeah on that one um did were you involved in the creature design on that one at all not at all um, okay. my main responsibilities in that were to um there was a big giant alligator that was sculpted and molded. And then my main responsibility was to cast up a giant alligator in my shop. So I actually transported the molds from my friend's shop. He had no more room. He's like, man, he's like, can you help me out? He's like, can you make this alligator for me? I don't have time. I don't have room. And I went, sure. And I took yeah. it over to my little shop and uh, yeah, made him the alligator. And God, that was a, that was quite a job. And um boy uh and then made him some corpses he th gave me some skeletons and said here make these look dead like make them deader i guess <laughs> put some meat on them put some rotten meat so i mean yeah I, I just did that stuff for him it was his show really just so, helping a buddy out um well then let's move away from that one and talk about some others you have worked on some films where it's been that mix of practical and digital um Definitely. and it's it's happening more and more uh especially on low budget films um, big budget's been doing it for a while to mix success, but, um, in lower budget films, I'm seeing more of that, especially digital blood for some, for whatever reason, I guess it's, you don't have to wash it. Um, it saves time. Yeah. 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 Saves onset time. What is that like as far as, I mean, I'm sure when you're shooting, you're not even thinking about that. That's somebody else's department to figure out then how to make that transition happen. But as an artist, are you thinking ahead about that, knowing, okay, when we're a close-up, it's going to be practical, but when they pull back, it's going to be CGI because we didn't have money to build the body, let's say. Um, so that'll be CG. Do you, do you think about that when you're building it? Do I need to make this something that will transition um, so that when, when it goes to that digital, it kind of preserves the same look? Or are you... Are you like, I'm going to showcase this. This is going to be a money shot item. I'm going to make it as cool and awesome as possible. And fuck video effects. It's up to them to match what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, um, I've actually opened my big mouth many times when I was, uh, you know, in charge of a production. And I thought that we could do something better uh, practically on set, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, I would usually, and it wasn't just because, um you know, it's not that I want to take any work away from the visual effects guys. It's because I thought that, that, okay, let me just restart and say, but a lot of the directors I've talked to uh, for some of the lower budget stuff, they always seem to want to do a lot of in-camera stuff. And that's really, I love hearing that. But I tell them that, you know, that comes with certain limitations and, you know, um, certain angles. You're going to have to listen to me about how to maybe, you know, shoot it. And it, it's, it's absolutely imperative that uh, we have a lot of meetings about it. Right. And then we discuss what's going to be digital, what won't. Exactly. Uh, and, and even if we do build something, they can still put digital over it. You know, they can still paint over it if they really want to. And mm -hmm. that's happened before. And that's usually because they change their mind, maybe in post-production. They're like, well, I want this to happen instead. You know, and that's mm -hmm. fine. I don't care. You know, as long as they listen to me, they give me the, uh, the choice, mm -hmm. you know, to uh, show them how cool this can be. If you just, you know, be a little more in camera, you know, and yeah. plus... Let's face it. It takes a little more ingenuity and uh, it takes um, more creative spirit, I think, to do things in camera. And you're actually being you're challenging yourself as a filmmaker, mm -hmm. regardless of what department you're in, if you're doing more stuff in camera. 
You know, yeah. I think too often people are falling back on, eh, fixing in post, you know, it's like, come on, are you yeah. making a movie or what? Do you really want to make this movie? Cause you don't sound like you do, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and to me, that's, that's the fun of filmmaking is also figuring out the challenges of making stuff happen, you know, um, right there on, in camera, you know, on set. I love doing that. Why would yeah. you not want to do that? That's part of the fun. Right. You know? And, and. I'm wondering if I don't know how to how to ask this. Well, let me let me back it up a little bit. So when you're in that situation where you you realize, hey, we can make this work. We can make this work right now. I just need a little compromise from you. I, I've been on those film sets where you've got you know you've got so much going on. You've got a, a DP who is like, we need to have this look. So the camera's got to be here. The lighting's got to be like this, a director who's saying, no, I want the lighting to be like this. Cause it's going to set the mood for this. And you got an FX guy going, well, if you set the lighting like that, it's going to give away the gag when you're in all that pre-production. Ideally you're dealing with all of that, but when it comes down to it, it's usually day up. You're there in the moment. And something's always snagging up whatever the plan was. What is that? How do you how do you manage that? I guess just on a people level that you're able to go in and work towards some sort of compromise with all of these moving parts. Because I'm not even going to bring the actors into it because fuck, that's a whole different animal. <laughs> but sure. um, when you're when you're doing all of that, I, I'm aside from just the people skills, at what point do you either give in or say, no, I'm digging my heels in. This is not, this is how we're going to do it. And here's why. Yeah. Uh, that's happened. Uh, that's happened a few times. Um, most of the time when I've collaborated on this stuff with these directors, um, you know, there's not a lot of room to make mistakes. They don't have the kind of time or budget to uh you know make all these mistakes that these big budget you know marvel films they can fix anything in post anything you know right. yeah. anything that they've been talking about for months it was going to be done in camera they can fix anything in post if they want to you know mm -hmm. um but i mean yeah it, it's it's imperative that there's always going to be an understanding and good communication between the departments because to this day i'm still perplexed at how sometimes these movies get made because you're just on set watching people just make these stupidest, most irrational decisions. I'm just going, what is wrong with you people? We talked about these things. <laughs> We've been talking about this shit for two months. Why are you doing this? So, you know what? I think it's just kind of the nature of filmmaking that some, some reason, the same person you met in pre-production, they seem to really have their shit in order and they mm -hmm. seem to be really prepared. They become an entirely different animal once they're on set. It's like, God, you kind of where did you leave your brain at home? You're right. an idiot now. What happened to you? You know, <laughs> that's happened a number of times, but you know, most of the time it's been most of the time it's been fairly smooth sailing with uh, you know, the productions where um, you know, they don't have the time and money to be making a lot of costly mistakes. They just don't, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh Jesus, man. I mean, when you're telling them that, like, hey, look, man, uh, you know. <laughs> If you guys can't get if you guys can't get your craft service table together, then you're probably not going to be able to even make this movie because you know a film crew runs on a stomach, <laughs> and if you think just a bunch of animal crackers and Fritos are going to keep your crew happy, you got another thing coming. Oh, yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, I mean, God. craft service, that's where you start. You gotta, you gotta make your craft service work out. So I get, hey, I, I, that was, I've, I've, I've heard stories of, of pop tarts being available and that's about it. No. Um, you know, to, to, yeah, you know, on the large budget films, it's just ridiculous what happens there. But, you know, I've worked on movie set. We, we worked on a low budget film where the farmer whose farm we were using was smoking ribs for us. You know, that was fucking awesome. That, I see. I love that. I love that. And sometimes the smaller budget of things, they just, I don't know, there's more of a family kind of feeling to it. Do you have yeah. a close knit kind of working group where you all are just on the same page? Whereas you would think that on a big budget thing where you can afford every you can afford to fill every department right mm -hmm. with a qualified technician qualified yeah. um you would think that stuff like that you know there's no way things are going to go wrong but i think the bigger you get it's just become this monster you just can't control so yeah usually on the lower budget stuff yeah, yeah. You, it's it's great to have some guy just show up with some ribs and start cooking some stuff and it's just mm -hmm. i love it you know to me that's uh, that still feels like filmmaking yeah you know, not video game making yeah it was um i the only film I've, I've worked on a short film it was the last thing i worked on just as a pa um just uh my son and i just went to do it for the hell of it uh because we had a friend who was working in it as an actor and we're like yeah we'll go do that and all i'd worked on prior to that was really low budget like that it's you know we got a barn and a camera let's make a horror movie kind of thing where i remember on on one on that set that i brought up on the farm i just remember all of us just working together and it was boy we need to do something with the set dressing here and a couple of us just ran on and went with it and everybody else was doing their stuff and it it wasn't a matter of what do you need me to do it was a matter of i think it needs this and i'm gonna do it and you yeah. start just kind of throwing in and you're doing whatever job you want as compared to this set where they had a union film crew a union yeah. sound guy you, you know across the board and I remember it started raining. We were outside and it started raining and the camera crews, there covering everything up. The sound guy was in the house with his stuff still sitting outside. And I said, Whoa, what about the sound guy stuff? And they went, Oh, that's his problem. <laughs> and I'm like, are you fucking, so I'm like putting my <laughs> raincoat over his board and shit. Cause I'm like, you guys oh are assholes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, exactly. That's, that's a really great example of, uh, just when, when the beast is too big that, yeah. Yeah. People just even that, of, you know, I mean, that was a low budget, small film. It was just a short, but the difference was these were union crews and right, they were, right. nope, I'm here for this. I don't yeah. give a shit about what his stuff is. Well, it's getting yeah. rained on you, asshole. You got plastic. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I uh, believe me. I agree completely with you. That's the thing that drives me nuts is that, yeah, there's, there's a certain apathy that kind of comes with, uh, you know, the bigger budget things and everyone's very departmentalized and, Oh, you know, you can't step on any toes. And, you know, right. it's like the thing that used to drive me nuts and still does is, um, you know, there's blood on the person's skin. It's makeup. The moment it hits fabric, it's wardrobe. It's like, well, what if your wardrobe, <laughs> people suck and they just kind of like squirt the blood on it looks shitty it's like right. to me the design continues into the wardrobe and that that's something that still to this day just drives me nuts when mm -hmm. you have a wardrobe person that puts you know blood on it it just looks like it looks it just it kind of fucks the whole design up because it's like yeah. well this person didn't even give a shit or you know they don't know how to do this you know maybe they do blood once a year on a project if they're lucky you know what i mean it's kind of yeah yeah. So I don't know. It's still it's still something I have some some feelings about, obviously, sure. you know, because I, I want stuff to look good all the way, not just like, well, my part looks good. I want the mm -hmm. whole thing to look good. You know, whether it's a 
set or a costume or a makeup. It all plays a part. So on those smaller films, like we were talking about that family feel in those situations, are you then working hand in hand with those people? Are you guys talking about that kind of stuff? Uh, sure. Absolutely. Or maybe you're working on a production that doesn't even have enough people to oversee all the different things. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, this, uh, film I worked on in Ohio starting in 19, it went from like 98 to 2000. It was called, it was called one O N E. Mm-hmm. And then it was spelled clone later on. And it, um, it, they didn't have anybody to do anything on that. Like they had, uh, it was a futuristic film. So they were like the director, they were going out and buying, like, um, the director would go to Walmart and buy all the stormtrooper blasters he could from the Walmart toy shelf and they spray paint them black. And that would, that would be their, the weapon in the movie, you know? And I'd be like, <laughs> guys, you're not fooling anybody with these. You know, they were, they actually brought, I can't think of another more recognizable uh, futuristic firearm than a, than a, a phaser, a Star Trek phaser. They were actually right. using a, a store-bought phaser in the movie. I'm like, guys, you're not fooling anybody. Like they had a main scene of like the main hero, like, like cocking the phaser. I'm like, come on guys. And I, 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 these are some local filmmakers I knew in Ohio. And I, I read about their, their little independent sci-fi film in the paper. And I went to them and I said, you guys need me. You need mm-hmm. me, you know? And they tried to discourage that. They tried to discourage me from joining the crew because they thought I was just another guy that read the paper and they said by the time I showed up, they'd already received like 20 calls from people just calling their house going, <laughs> I, could, I, I could do this for your, I could blow shit up for your movie, you know? So here you get this uh, guy going, well, I can do all this stuff for you. I can make your blasters and do your, you know, your clone creatures. They didn't believe a goddamn word I said until I showed them my portfolio and then mm-hmm. they became my best friends, right? Sure. Um, and then I ended up doing not just makeup, but I started doing pyro on it because they had no pyro and they were laser blast hits, like the kind mm-hmm. you see in Star Wars, you know, where you get yeah. these big, beautiful explosions of sparks. And I knew how to do that. Mm-hmm. And then they didn't have anybody to really do any production design. So I actually became their production designer. I went from doing their makeup to doing props to just doing their production design because they had nobody to do that stuff. Yeah. And I, I ate it up. Now, I wasn't making a dime on that, but I was thrilled to be building a moving portfolio over the span of two years and to me that's what that movie is for me at the time it was a living breathing portfolio of there's not a single frame in that film that it doesn't have me all over it and you know so sometimes you gotta you know i think the more you can do the more you get to do which is something that tom fame tom savini infamously said yeah and i always i always believe that and it's true it's absolutely true you know um, but yeah, as long as you're not in some big union film, it is true. Yeah. <laughs> so I know, um, you, you got some time constraints coming up. So I want, there's a couple things I want to get to. And ah, the first is if you're, if you, if, if this works for you, I was going to kind of go through just your filmography here and just hit a couple and get some stories from you on them. Yeah. So we've already talked a little bit about August underground, which, whew, um, but, uh, let's, let's, uh, I'm just going to do a crap. I'll just start naming them. Uh, creep show three. Uh, one of the biggest professional disappointments of my professional career. Um, and I'll just say it like this without getting pulled into this one. <laughs> this, this is a very, this awesome. I started what, with the winner. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm glad you did. Uh, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I, you know, as we talked about before creep show really, 
that was a very inspirational uh, moment for me when I first Absolutely. saw that film. And uh, I, to this day, I still love it. I even have an old, I even have an original, um, I have a casting of Fluffy um, out of Tom's mold, you know? Oh, so I awesome. have, you know, things that mean a lot to me from that mm -hmm. film too. And um, so I was excited when I heard about this and uh, I got on it because I had helped this production company with their previous film, which was a, uh, a cheap zombie film. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they came to me for it. They said, oh, we're going to be doing Creepshow 3. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I can't wait. And at that same time, my girlfriend at the time and I had started writing short horror film scripts, you know, mm -hmm. for something completely different. It was actually a George Romero project that we wanted to pitch him oh, cool. uh, a few years before that. Mm -hmm. So we had a bunch of these leftover scripts because that project didn't happen. And so I said, well, what are you guys doing for your stories and stuff? And they said, well, we were, we're, we're just kind of writing a few things. And I found out that they actually were going around their production office, just asking interns and office PAs if they had any horror scripts. I mean, seriously. Ugh. So uh, I presented like four or five of these and they were good scripts. They were solid. They were solid. They were creep show stuff because it's my world. I know, you know, what would work well in that world. So I'm like, Oh, this one will be perfect. You know, mm -hmm. let's show this to them. You know, I know it's low budget, but let's show them ones that we think they could probably do on their budget. So, mm -hmm. but every time we gave them a script, there was a reason why they didn't want to do it. Like, Oh, this one can't have animals. And I said, but it's a dog. <laughs> oh no, no animals. Okay. How about a parrot and a cage? You know, right. no, no animals. Like, Oh my God. I mean, there was just always a dumb reason why they couldn't use our scripts. And so they turned down all of our scripts, very uh, discouraging. And when they finally sent me the completed script and uh, to, to do the effects breakdown, because I was still going to do the makeup effects no matter what, mm -hmm. I read it and my heart sank from page two to the end of it. It was just, it was as bad as the movie is. I mean, mm -hmm. you've seen the movie and it's horrible. And, yeah. uh, you know, I did what I could with the uh, makeup effects and stuff, which I'm fairly proud of. I think there's some good gags in it but it's just honestly it's an abomination for a creep mm -hmm. show film if you call it something else like you know dark tales or whatever it'd probably be okay right. people wouldn't hate it as much but it's just it's it's just hated because they're trying to pass it off as a creep show film which it's not right and i'll give you one example i had to <clears throat> fight to get the creep into that movie that's something that nobody knows because i had arguments with uh production i said they said, oh, we're not going to put the creep. Because I, I even said, I said, where's your creep? Where's your well, segments between the, you know, I mean, between the episodes? <laughs> yeah. And they said, well, we're not doing that because we're not going to do it like the other ones. Like they almost <laughs> talked about the other two creep shows like they were something beneath them. And I thought, why are you going to alienate your audience that you're trying to cater to? Why do yeah. you do that? And they said, oh, we don't want to do it like the way they did it. And that's just how they kept talking about it. And I said, and I kept fighting for it. And I finally went to the, one of the producers and I said, look, you got to have the creep. You're going to piss people off if you don't have the creep. And I said, I'll tell you what, I will do the makeup and play the part of the creep for free. And no producer is going to turn that down. No. So that's the only way it happened. And yeah, the creeps in the movie for three seconds at the end. And then my face turns into what looks basically it turns into the shittiest digital diarrhea blood ever. It's just awful. Right. It's like this big brown mask that yeah. washes over my face and it's, it's so bad looking, even, even digital. It's like, no, this is horrible. Right. So creep show was a creep show through. Well, was a they they also down. went away from Stephen King's stories, which was obviously Big budgetary. Um, you know, they just 
said, nope, we're not even going to buy licensing for those. We'll, we'll have our own. Um, and I'm not thinking, I'm not saying that Stephen King makes or breaks a film, but when the first two are completely themed over Stephen King's stories, and then the third one says, nope, not that anymore. Like you say, call it something else then. Call it something else. My God. But I mean, you know, they knew that they had a built in market. So they were obviously doing that. You know, it was a money decision. But boy, what a what a disappointment for me that movie was. It it happens a lot, unfortunately. Oh, it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. When they try to reboot or uh, bring a franchise back, you know, you got to really you got to you got to be true to the source material or no one's going to give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, I. that's a rough one man well that was a fun one to go through (laughs) good i'm glad i could give you some ptsd to start this one off oh god (laughs) i I will Um, say this though i did i did enjoy working on i have fond memories of working in a small shop you know my own mm -hmm. shop at the time and watching horror movies the whole day while we were building creatures it does have a certain you know i had fun working on it just not dealing with certain decision making you know things. so (laughs) (laughs) what about the donner party um the donner party was um to me that was a a big miss uh for the production i mean i enjoyed doing the makeup on it i had a small crew of like uh, i think it was a crew of four or five hair and makeup people Mm -hmm. i was the supervisor on that and um i really wanted to bring a lot to that but they just didn't have the time and they didn't have the budget for instance i wanted to have every single actor as the film progressed you know, these people are trapped in the Sierra Nevada mountains without food for months. And I wanted you to start seeing that on their faces, not just on their faces, which we were able to do, but also on their teeth. Your teeth mm-hmm. are going to start rotting and rotting they're going to be horrible. Yeah. And I wanted to do a, a slow progression of decay on all their teeth. But that meant taking 20 teeth casts and stuff like that. And yeah, they did try to do it for a few of the lead actors and stuff, but um, you, you never see it. You never even notice it. Yeah. So it's probably just as well that we didn't do it. But um, I'll tell you this right now. I think that that movie with that kind of subject matter should have been kind of a no brainer as far as your drama and yeah. how good it could have been, because I don't think that, I don't think they really knew what they wanted to do. I think sometimes it felt a little bit like a horror movie. Sometimes it felt like an adventure. Sometimes it was a very long drawn out drama. Uh yeah, all I'll say is I've never seen so many um, wasted potato flakes in all my life. <laughs> they needed they needed a, a lot of scenes of snow, and it took. They filmed it in April, so it was starting yep. to get warm, and they had to punch up a lot of their snow with potato flakes. <laughs> Truth. Did you have any interactions with uh, Crispin Glover? I was his personal artist. Yeah. Uh, um, well, how was he? Was he? Cool. I, that's. I mean. He's one of those people who, and the, and the reason I enjoy this film is strictly because of him. I think he he's like, I put him with Lance Henriksen, where no matter how bad the movie is, their presence is going to make it watchable completely. And yes. I, I just why I enjoy that film is just watching him. He and, made he made he 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 does save it. I will I will admit that he does save it because yeah, that film, yeah, it's if he wasn't in it, boy, it would be. Uh, unwatchable i mm-hmm. think you know but he does yeah it's his screen presence that's, and he's a, and he's just a he's a fascinating human being um i think he's he's like one of the few people in that world who has a very i think very set moral code that he lives by and and oh, yeah. um, the the art that he makes is i mean it's it's singular there's nothing like what he does um 
what were your interactions with him like? He was pretty quiet when, and when he was in the chair, he was very quiet. He was mm-hmm. very specific. He would always uh, inspect the work very closely with a little handheld mirror and stuff like that. But he was really cool. And if he felt that something needed to be fixed or something like that, he'd point it out and I'd be like, mm-hmm. Oh, cool. You know? Um, yeah. If he just like, well, can we make this area a little darker around my eye or whatever? He would just throw suggestions. And I was, I was all game for it. You know, I like when someone really invests a lot into their character and wants to collaborate with me on that character. I thought mm-hmm. that was great. So I'm nothing cool. but praise for him. He was really cool. And he was telling us fun stories about when he almost kicked David Letterman in the face that one time on his show. And, you know, he was, he was, uh, yeah, he was sharing some pretty cool insight into certain things that I didn't awesome. know about. So awesome. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. How are we on time? What time do you, how much more time do you have? We're, we're okay. We're, okay. We're, we're, cool. we're good with time so cool. far. We're good. All right. Good deal. Um, well, I got to ask you about Walking Dead. Uh, that 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 is a show that I'm sure uh, for FX artists was a boon when that show came along and then became a hit uh, for working, especially a freelance FX artist having that and living in Atlanta as you do where they shoot a lot of it. You're probably just like, oh, this is manna from heaven for me. Well, it's funny because I didn't work on that show for the first like two, almost three years that I was here. Mm hmm. And every time I would meet somebody not in the industry, you know, and ask me what I would do. And I tell them the first words out of their mouth would always be, did you work on walking dead? And I felt like an idiot (laughs) saying I do what I do, but no, I never have. But eventually I did get a call for them. I, you know, people just find out you're available and they find out who you are Mm -hmm. and uh, they call me pretty regularly to work on it. Usually just for scenes where they have, cause they have a, they have a, um, they have a, a, a full time makeup effects crew already on mm-hmm. every day, you know, yeah. not every day is a zombie day, you know, so sometimes they won't, right. they won't be working on set. They'll be maybe like fixing things up in the shop or whatever, but mm-hmm. on big zombie days, you know, they have their full staff and they also have to call in plenty of extra makeup effects people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I'll come in, you know, and I usually see the same people they keep calling, you know, I'm like, Hey man, what's up, you know? And, <laughs> And it's great though, because you have everything provided for you, all the color palettes you need. It's a very specific look they want. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have everything you need. They have just drawers and drawers and drawers of zombie appliances. I mean, it's still pretty cool doing this stuff as long as I have though. I still get a great thrill out of looking at a zombie appliance and going, man, this is really cool. You know, this is really cool. So it's, it's really cool. I, I, that's one of the few shows I enjoy being a hired hand on because Come on, man. It's zombies. Yeah. <laughs> it's zombies, you know? How so can you enjoy that? In a situation like that, where let's say it's like um, you know, that the the prison scene where they've just got a horde coming through. Yeah. All these artists are working on it. Are you handed specific designs for the actors you're working on, or do they say gore them up, make them look like a zombie? Uh the first one. Um, yeah, they hand you appliances, and usually the person you're gonna be applying it on has been a zombie many times before. And that's mm-hmm. the great thing about uh all of the uh, walkers on that show is they all have experience. Very rarely will you meet somebody on there that has never been on the show before. Yeah, you know, if they if they weren't a um if they weren't a whisperer, they were a zombie. If they weren't a zombie, they might they might be like uh, maybe some human survivor the next week. You know, it's really mm-hmm. cool how they just kind of interchange the cast all the time. Yeah. But you'd never know it, you know. Um, so, yeah, usually they hand you specific appliances that happen to work for this person. They have a lot of generic appliances, you know, 
uh, that uh, they just say, well, hey, make it work, you know, right. um, but they do specifically fit teeth because the teeth are the real key to a lot of right. those makeups. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are custom fit dentures for that specific actor, mm -hmm. which is really cool. You know, they've yeah. got a system that they've just improved year after year after year. And now it's like, I mean, they could do that. They could do that stuff with their eyes closed if they wanted yeah. to, you know, so. Yeah. yeah, it's very, it's a very, very well-oiled machine. They all know what's, what's, what to do. And so do yeah. we, you know, when we uh, go to set. So it's cool. And you've got somebody like Greg Nicotera, who's basically heading all of that, who's got that background experience that when they go into something like this, where it really is kind of assembly line, because you are working on a, a much larger scale and a much faster pace than you do on a feature film, I'm sure where you you have i think you'd have to have that wouldn't you i tell you what we're in a really really unique situation with greg nicotero too because how many other i mean can you name any other show where the makeup effects supervisor plays such a heavy hand in the overall production of a show yeah. and not just the makeup look but you know the characters the way things look i mean that's that's rare and he actually really really kind of um i tell you what man um that's a real good ally to have in our corner because usually makeup effects people were kind of looked at as being kind of a nuisance sometimes like, Oh God, <laughs> you know, here they come, you know, with their glue and all their shit and they're going to want three hours to put a makeup on, you know, but when you got a, a heavyweight like Greg Nicotero in your corner, man, that makes all the difference in the world. And he I'm cares sure. even after 10 years of doing this shit, he cares about mm -hmm. every single zombie that goes through, even the guys wearing the, slip over um masks in the background the deep background yeah. he wants those to look really good and he wants the hair to be very specific and i love that i love when somebody still after this amount of time yeah. is not jaded and they actually still well, he really does care those about the he does those fun easter eggs i remember i i one oh, in particular yeah. i remember bub showing up and it's a yeah. split second you see a zombie in a tunnel with a collar on and listen that split second i was like holy fuck that's bub and my son <laughs> and i were both losing our shit <laughs> it's bub, it's bub. oh i love when i remember getting that. on facebook I... and posting did anybody else see bub tonight like all my friends yeah like, <laughs> or the split corpse the split corpse yes. from return of living dead yes you know? absolutely I, I yeah. love, or the jack the uh, jack from american werewolf yep. you know <laughs> i love when they do that you know i love when they do it i have not worked on one of those guys yet i don't know if yeah. i ever will but boy, I love when they do that. That's what just we so do cool. in the shadows is another one that does that so well that anytime they do a, a wherever there's a group of, of vampires. I, I remember uh, in one of the episodes, it's the vampire orgy episode. Uh, they have like a Babadook and this and that, you know, and it's a lot of oh. recognizable vampires. There's a there's a uh, Bill Pullman's character from Near Dark with like the half burnt face and stuff. Oh, that's so cool. But then the the fucking Amanda Donahue vampire from uh, Lair of the White Worm goes walking yeah. past. I'm like, well, three people get that joke. Oh man, <laughs> I I would have been one of those three. That's a great that's a great design. I always like that. Oh, I always like that. Awesome design. It's a great movie too. I love that movie. I gotta I gotta get into that series. I, I have never seen it. I've never just, oh. I don't know. It just, it kind of got past me. I've got it to is, get into that. It, it was custom made for you. Yeah. Okay. You I've heard good it. things. It's very good. Yeah. It's a lot okay. of fun. Yeah. If, if nothing else, even if, if, uh, if you don't care for the plot, those little moments are loads of fun, but I think oh. you'll enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's I'm a good mix that. of comedy horror. So, <laughs> okay. I'll okay. Check that out. Um, let's see. Uh, well, I got to ask you about American badass. 
I mean, it, uh, FDR American <laughs> yeah, Badass is one of those movies. <laughs> I met I met Barry Boswick at a con. Um, not I, I think it was the year that came out actually. And uh, of course, everybody's there for Rocky Horror. I get up to him and I'm like, "We got to talk about how you say motherfucker in FDR American Badass because it's my favorite <laughs> moment in that movie." <laughs> And it's actually that scene. It's the scene in the morgue when they when they show the werewolf and the way he, <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah, I'm like that is the best line read I've ever heard. How was he about? How how was? I mean, was he? Uh, you know, was he receptive? He was. A, he was a delight. He. We, yeah, we talked okay, about good. twenty minutes. Um, I get there and there's no line for him. And I, I I walked up to him and I'm waiting. He's talking to the lady next to him. And then he turns to me and he goes, look at this car. I'm thinking about buying this car. Look at that. Do you like that car? <laughs> We're talking about this convertible for five minutes before we even get to the FDR stuff. But yeah, no, he was great. He was a lot of fun with it. So what was oh, that? I mean, that's such a a weird little bizarre. It's almost a movie. When I watched it the first time, I'm like, who on earth? thought to make this you know it's so unique and so yeah. weird and, and a hell of a lot of fun so what was the set like for that well um well that that job came to uh at the time i was partnered up with another makeup artist named steve costanza and uh that came his way and um we had opened up a little shop together and he's like well man we got this werewolf thing that could happen and he told me the budget and i was like oh my god i mean you think like <laughs> a movie about werewolves they throw a little bit more of that money into the werewolf de <laughs> department but they didn't and they told us what the budget was i'm like oh my god and but we still wanted to try to do what we could you know and we had no time no money but we life cast all the main actors they all had their own special appliances made for them you know mm -hmm. i used a bunch of hair that i had left over from other jobs and stuff like that um i was on set for a few days for that um because I think we were, it was, it was overlapping with another show that I had to start mm -hmm. working on. And then Steve was staying on set with uh, most of that stuff. But um, I remember it just being uh, kind of loose and fun. You know, mm -hmm. um, I was there on a day where um, I believe I did the uh, Japanese, like the Hirohito. Hirohito werewolf. I, 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 yeah, I did. I did him. <laughs> I remember that. And then the Italian werewolf, uh, the guy who's like, did you yeah. suck a dick? <laughs> yeah i remember i remember him <laughs> um but uh and, and i gotta tell you too when uh uh julie told me you guys were gonna you know watch fdr yeah. and stuff that just brought back so many memories because i hadn't thought about that movie in so long I'm like oh my god and yeah i uh all these memories um She'll tell you when she first told me about you and I looked up your IMDb and I saw that, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? He worked on this movie. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I think, I think, I mean, I appreciate just how goofy it is. I like the fact that they yeah. had a really ridiculous vision. They stuck by it and it was fun. It was just kind of, sometimes I'm just like sitting there on set going, that's kind of funny. You know, watching this <laughs> werewolf do a take after take of going, did you suck a dick? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like they must have done like five or six takes of that. And I just laughed every time, every time I laughed, it became funnier and funnier. You know, it was funny. It was great. I was not there on the uh, day of the squirrel up the uh, corpse's ass, but mm. I do remember Steve going, yeah, he's like, um, he's like, I got to find this fucking like squirrel thing. I don't know where to find it. Like it's jammed up some guy's ass. And I went, uh okay <laughs> and i remember too i said oh shit do we have to build this he's like no no it's just for like a quick little sight gag you know like uh -huh. a like a naked gun kind of thing you're gonna see it for a few seconds and yeah i guess he located a half a squirrel and, you know, 
and now it sits, on, wire in it there to... sits on my mantle so. <laughs> yes yes it does i don't know why i i gotta tell you though i don't know where all that hair on the tail went it all just kind of i don't know where it went because i've never used that just for got anything else. <laughs> must be must be but uh, that was that was just a fun experience you know uh, oh fdr's legs little trivia fdr's little shriveled like yeah jiggly legs that uh-huh. was the um, daughter of one of the makeup artists on the film <laughs> she was like 12 years old and she brought her into my shop and said all right here life cast my daughter's legs she's like, no she's like 11 she was really young you know just hilarious so they are their little girl legs when you see yeah. them twitching <laughs> my son and i still like whenever somebody says something that that is just completely dumb shut the fuck up einstein yes yes <laughs> you know what it's 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 a stupid movie that's more clever than people would probably give it like an ordinary mainstream watching person would give it credit for it's really i mean the humor is slick it's yes. fast and it's you know yeah it, it it's, is it's a, it's a, it's a hell of a lot of fun stick. it yeah, is it is it's goofy it has no point it has no merit beyond just being fun which is yeah. absolutely fine <laughs> the fact that they need more of <laughs> dracula dead and loving it hasn't got shit on fdr exactly so. yes amen <laughs> and they had a huge budget so yeah <laughs> Well, we got to talk about you. You are now part of the full on, I, I, I would say, the Hall of Fame of slashers in that you worked on Smiley. And uh, that one, that's one of those. It's a, you know, it's not in the 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 big three of Michael yeah. Myers, Freddie and Jason, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a movie that's got kind of a life of its own now and people really respond to it and it's got definitely got a following out there i watched you, on your youtube page the mask you had you were showing the mask from that oh right right yeah no you 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 uh you summed it up perfectly yeah it, it's got a life that yeah it took on a life of its own after it came out and again this was another show that came uh, our way through my friend steve and um, he's like, yeah, we got this little smiley thing. It's kind of weird. The budget's low. And that's the thing. We, we were cursed with all these low budget things. Like we couldn't like hit the big time. It was mm-hmm. so weird. But smiley, um, you know, I, I made the mask for it, sculpted the mask and everything. And it just, it's weird because it took on this, uh, it did take on a life of its own where I heard about this movie, you know, I would be teaching like seven, eight years after I did that movie, I would be teaching at a makeup school in LA and a student would be like, Hey, you worked on smiley, you know, and they would be someone from Scotland or Australia mm-hmm. and they bring up this smiley. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God. You know, so people are, I would hear about it, you know, from time to time people would bring it up and it's like, wow, this movie really did get around, you know? Yeah. And the look of it, you know, um, they, they knew what they wanted. They actually sent us a little Photoshop design they had of this, creepy looking character and stuff Mm -hmm. so that was nice they knew exactly what they wanted so there wasn't a lot of back and forth well how about this you know Mm -hmm. they they were like great let's do it you know um but yeah man people still bring that movie up i i mean it's a it's a pretty iconic mask i i I i've seen the cosplay of it now at least right you know a handful of times at cons i see people cosplaying out i see replica replicas of it everywhere um so it's it's definitely hit a nerve for people um you know it's right it's i i would it, it's it's not hockey mask level but it's not far from it you know it's it's out there people can identify it especially horror fans know what it is absolutely yeah absolutely yeah and there were even people online like you said you know if uh mm-hmm. 
you know, cosplay or there are even people just doing like the, um, Oh God, what was, Oh, like, like uh, masking tape and latex. Like they were yeah. like building up, you know, smiley on their face. Cool. You know, and <laughs> it was kind of weird to just see that, you know, to just see sure. people keep doing that and stuff, but uh, yeah, still got him. He's still, he's still at home. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So got the mold too. I, I might have to pour up a new one and just repaint it and, you know, because I, I, I feel like, you know, I've learned a lot since then. I could probably make him even better, you know, mm-hmm. so. But uh, yeah, that's one that keeps following me around. So cool. it peaks up from time to time. Cool. <laughs> what about um, Tales from the Hood 2? What do you remember Tales from, from that? Tales from the Hood 2. That was, that was a real simple one. Um, I wasn't even on set for that. Uh, that came through me, uh, or I was working for um, makeup effects artist Bob Kurtzman, you know, of the yeah. original K- K&B. Yeah. Well, um, that was his gig. He just got this little, small little, you know, film while we were working on the haunting of Hill house. And then mm-hmm. we over Christmas break, he's like, yeah, he's like, dude, we got to sculpt some shit for, uh, you know, that's exactly <laughs> how we said it too. He's like, ah, we got to sculpt some shit, you know, for chosen <laughs> hood too. And he's like, just a bunch of slash marks. So I, I, all I did was sculpt and build the appliances. And yeah. then we just gave them to an artist to go down to, uh, I believe it was in new Orleans and they just filmed it mm-hmm. there. So that was a quickie for me. It was like, I don't know, maybe like two or three days to make yeah. everything and stuff, but you know, it's, a, it's a credit, you know, it's a credit. Sure. And it was, it was a paycheck. So absolutely. Well, I know. Okay. God, I could just, all right. I'm going to give you the questions from my son and then, yeah. and then I've got a few other things and then, and then I'll get you out of here. But my son, uh, he wants to know about son of the mask. It's a movie he's obsessed with simply <laughs> in the, uh, in the so bad it's good category. He okay. absolutely loves it. Anytime he sees Jamie Kennedy at a con we're at, he loses his shit. And he's like, I'm just going to go ask him everything about that shit. Oh, cool. I want to know. <laughs> Mr. Kennedy, I know you don't want to talk about this, but yeah. <laughs> well, what, what did you have any, like, what, what was your involvement in that one? Um, that played as the only significant role that played in my life was that was my first professional gig when I moved to LA. Mm -hmm. Uh, I moved to LA in like 2003 around October. I want to say middle of October. Okay. And because of some friends that I knew in the industry, uh, I got my first, uh, yeah, shop gig on son of the mask. So (laughs) son of the mask was my very first Los Angeles movie I ever worked on. That was, yeah, that was pretty exciting only because it was like, wow, here I am at Greg Canham studios, you know, yeah. working on, uh, you know, this movie, Son of the mask. And, uh, you know, there was a lot going on. I was on the midnight crew for that. It was such a huge prosthetic show that they had two crews. I was on the second shift from wow. four to midnight. Wow. So yeah, I would come in around, uh, you know, three 30 and, and then I was there, uh, till midnight with like maybe three or four other guys. It was just us in the shop late at night. And, uh, the thing I remember about that movie, which has nothing to do with that movie, but the memory I have that's so vivid is I remember like eating Del Taco sitting in the break room, like around nine, 10 o'clock at night, they just finished of working on the passion of the Christ. So they had the full size cross and the whole Jesus body hanging from the cross in the break room. And it was so cool. I'm just sitting there. Eating like, Del Taco under the Del Taco, Just walking up to it and going, God damn, that's cool. You know? And it was, it was impressive. It I'm looked sure. Just like it looked like Jim Caviezel himself was like hired to just sit up there all day. You know, it, looked, oh, it was cool. great. It was Very really cool. beautiful. So wow. yeah, that's, that's, that's the memory I have of that one. You yeah. know? 
Yeah, just working on that and making, uh, I remember painting a lot of babies for it. I've never seen the movie. I've never seen it, but I remember. It's, uh, it's something. <laughs> so I've heard. That's as far as I'll go. <laughs> I, yes, I've heard. I, I, the way I look at it, if, uh, if um, oh shit, what's his name? Alan Cumming. If he, if he can't save it, then it's, it's a lost cause so <laughs> yeah. well the first well the first movie set the bar so high, it really you know? did yeah it really I mean, did. that's 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 just uh man you how, if you're a producer on that film how could you not know going in you're like we can't get jim ah fuck yeah <laughs> you know you gotta deal with it from that point yeah. on oh, jamie Kerry, jamie kennedy's the obvious successor <laughs> yes every day begins with a long sigh <laughs> <laughs> okay Two others from my son. Uh, did you work on the giant Hasselhoff at all for SpongeBob? I did. Oh my God, you're going to make did. his day. Yes. Wow. I will have to see if I can find some photos and I'll, uh, I'll send you some like shots of the photos if I can locate them. But yeah, I have shots uh, that I took in the shop when we were working on that. And it was awesome. so wild to come to work every day and see that giant <laughs> David Hasselhoff slowly start to take form and take shape, you know? <laughs> I always, I always told, I always ask people, what's more, what's more impressive than a six foot three David Hasselhoff, a thirteen foot David Hasselhoff. I mean, you must have felt like one of the workers building the Sphinx. <laughs> Every time you walk in, a little more of it appears, and it's just a little more hallowed each time. <laughs> I, I, uh, one other, you know, it's it's weird. I have like snapshots of memories of very specific things, and one specific memory I have of working on that is a giant clay David Hasselhoff leg, a big meaty thigh. <laughs> A big meaty thigh, and um, we're on ladders working on it because it was so high. We're on ladders sculpting it, and I just remember, I remember that. I don't know. I just remember that big meaty thigh, and we're all sculpting it and putting texture in it. Oh, man. Uh, were, you humming there, were you humming there's no shit business like show business? And <laughs> <laughs> I've made it. <laughs> yeah, I had just finished some of the math, so probably. Probably yes. so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this is this is the most important question from my son. You worked on jujitsu. Did you have any interactions with the cage? I did not. Okay. I did not get to I go. I don't to care Greece. about anything else then. Fuck it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just tell him sorry, he, man. He got... saw that in your credits and he was like, oh my God, he worked on jujitsu. He's now holy. So <laughs> I, I I you can tell him this. Tell him I worked on the creature suit. I was hired for two weeks to sculpt it. And, but honestly, uh, that experience, I was only in a shop. I was, I was a work for hire on some other, for some other shop. It actually was one of the worst professional experiences of my life. Mm. Uh, wow. that along with creep show three, actually, this one was probably, this one took the cake just because of all the dumb shit that went on behind the scenes that I thought was really highly unprofessional, but it was just, you know, I mean, in the movie, uh, another gene, <laughs> man. Yeah. It's like some of the mask three, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, have, I have heard uh, that that movie is so that movie is much maligned, isn't it? Yeah. I've, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 I know. It's, it's I know. I've watched it. I, you know, it's you watch <laughs> when you watch a Nick Cage movie, you're watching it for Nick Cage. It doesn't matter what the movie is. You're watching to see what the fuck's he going to do this time. So <laughs> now I had to, I had to bring this one up because, you know, I talk about these horrible experiences on a lot of these big budget films and stuff, mm -hmm. but I had to bring this up also because, you know, um, fairly recently we lost um, within the last couple of years, we lost Stuart Gordon, you know, yeah. 
which to me was a was a was a big blow because um uh i met Stuart gordon through a friend of mine that knew him um just through like a fan email and stuff like that you know and my friend lived in ohio another effects guy but he traveled Mm -hmm. to la you know he's like hey man i'm gonna be in la and he's like "Uh, i'm gonna go to Stuart gordon's office you want to meet him i'm like shit yeah fuck yeah so we uh he actually had an office seriously down within walking distance of my apartment at the time so we just went down there was in burbank and Mm -hmm. we met him he was just so goddamn cool and so sweet and so nice you know as nice as he looks you know he Mm -hmm. just he seems like a big teddy bear and he was and he called me to work on some pickup shots for the movie stuck which was his last theatrical film Mm -hmm. so he called me for just a day you know i showed up i painted his arm brown because he wanted to match this black actor to just for a shot of him turning on a lamp Mm -hmm. and it's actually stewart's arm painted brown which was fun and then a couple of close-up shots um, of some guy's bloody hands and stuff. But they put mm-hmm. me at the end of those credits. But the one I wanted to bring up was um, one of the best times I ever had working on something. And one of the most fulfilling times <laughs> when you see the final product was Reanimator the Musical. Yes. Because Stuart called me for that. And he's like, well, we have a, he's like, I got some of the guys from the original movie working on actual props for this. He's like, but mm-hmm. I want to bring you in. Um, cause I want you to make some of the heads. I want you cool. to make the Dr. Hill heads. He's like, I want to, I want you to make the hero head when it first gets cut off. And then we need a smashable one that we can reuse for each night's performance. Right. He's like, cause the original, we just glued some sponges together and squeezed them. Mm-hmm. He's like, so we need a head though that we can reset. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, okay. Um, sounds cool. What, what's your budget? And he told me the budget. It was like, oh my God, it's, I, 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 I mean, I'm just going to tell you, it was, it was like $200. <laughs> <laughs> It was $200. And I, and I went for, for both heads, you know, and he goes like, yeah. And I went oh, uh, uh, for materials and time. He's like, yeah, that's all we got. And I'm like, all right, you know, and now I know why, you know, now I know why I saw John Beekler at a storage unit one day pulling old moldy props out of a box to let them use. Did you, did you like know John Beekler? Like I didn't know him, know him, but I, I got to meet him, um, you know, because of the association like, through that. He's like, seriously, one of my absolute favorite people on earth. Yeah. He's another I, guy. I, I know died way too fucking young. Wait, wait, I got young. to, I got um, to meet him at a con. Uh, I think it was months, just months before he died. I got oh, to meet boy. him. Yeah. Uh, he was, well, it's good. One. You got to meet him though. Yeah. No, it's good. You oh, got I'm to thrilled. meet him. Cause I mean, you always regret maybe, missing a chance to meet someone you've always wanted to meet and then yeah. that's it they're gone forever and stuff so it's really cool when you can meet someone like that yeah but, he was uh, a he was a fucking delight but I, i'm sorry go well, ahead though with no the, it's all right i mean I, I i feel the same way about Stuart because um i think i even spent some of my own money to just sweeten up the heads a little bit you know sure. but i made them and i really cared about the uh the final product and i can't i tell you what watching that and i i went since I didn't make any money on it, obviously, and I even lost a little bit, mm-hmm. but I wanted to do it for Stuart. And I saw how passionate he was about the project. And I said, okay, I said, I'll, I'll do it too. I said, but you know, can I just, can I bring people to the, to each, to whatever showing I want for free? And he's like, sure. So that was kind of part of the deal. That's and cool. I, I think I went to seven or eight performances with all different people. Awesome. Cause I wanted my friends and my girlfriend, I wanted to them to experience this because it was just so much fun. I've never yeah. had more fun than I did. Like, and that includes all the movies and all the TV shows. Um, I think watching that play played live. Very and cool. even the music was played live. The music was played live. It was not yeah. pre-recorded. 
um, every time I would see it, I just, I had a ball and that to me was a career highlight, you know, Very cool. it was just, it was so cool. And, you know, and I was so, so, um, just torn to hear that, you know, when he died, I was just, cause I kept in touch with him throughout the years. We would write yeah. emails back and forth and stuff. And, you know, I stopped receiving emails from him cause he got sick and that yeah. sucked. But yeah. uh, I am, I'm so grateful to have worked with him because I mean, come on, man. Reanimator. Oh, absolutely. And from and beyond. I mean, in, uh, in theater where he got his start because he, st I mean, he yeah. was one of those guys who was doing Grand Guggenau in the 60s. Right. And people were like, what the fuck is happening? I thought we left right. this behind and he was bringing it back. Um, just doing amazing oh, stuff. And then, yes. of course, his movies. I actually, we just watched Dolls this past weekend. I broke it out. Julia had never seen it. I'm like, oh, oh you got to see Dolls. It's a moral oh, tale. It's great. Forgot about <laughs> Dolls. That's awesome. I even thought his later films, like uh, uh, King of the Ants, I thought stuff like that, like more of his like um, hardcore drama stuff yeah. was really good too, you know? Well, he knew, and it, it shows in his horror where you could see that he was character driven on everything thing it Absolutely. was it was story and character the gore was just icing and um you know he it was great icing i mean reanimator for fuck's sake that's one of the goriest movies ever made uh but it's also compelling and interesting yes. and you're invested yes. in it yeah yes and when you and you know what i, I tell you what you're never going to have a sweeter <clears throat> 90 minutes of your life than whenever you're watching reanimator because it's just every time and the pacing's perfect when the movie's over you're like that, that, jesus that felt like 20 minutes i mean it's beautifully paced and there's not possibly one of, the, that film. one of the greatest oral sex puns of all time <laughs> without a doubt i mean <laughs> Without a doubt. Oh God. Uh, I, 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 uh, I, I miss Stuart so much and I, I wish he was still making movies because yeah. his, it's just his, you, you can tell a Stuart Gordon movie. You can always oh, yeah. tell a Stuart Gordon movie, you know, and man, he was so good. I Absolutely. Miss him. Yeah. And it's, and it's even with something like, uh, like Castle Freak, you know, it's a, it's a yes. bizarre film and um, it, like the gore in it is insane uh some of the gags in it are just bug fuck as you're watching you're like who thinks like this but also again another compelling film I, I was invested in every character in it and it's you know it's not barbara crampton's best work but still i i empathized with her throughout in this goofy crazy fucking italian movie <laughs> you know it was it's great fun you know, that that's that's the other thing about Stuart that I always admired is that he was always willing to kind of push the boundaries a little bit. He wasn't afraid to do stuff. He wasn't afraid to have characters do certain things that nowadays, of course, nowadays people are going to get their, you know, panties in a knot about, you know, yeah. and I love that about him. I love that he took chances, you know, because yes. you just don't see a lot of that. You still have some of it out there. You still have guys that are trying and mm -hmm. Tarantino, who I still love, but I mean, Man, nobody was like Stuart Gordon, you know. No, absolutely that guy, not. He knew what he was doing, man. And yeah. he was just so cool in person. It's like he didn't give a shit about all the accolades and you know how he looked to Hollywood. He didn't he didn't care about that stuff, you know. That's he awesome was just to he hear. was such a cool guy to be around, you know. Cool. That's great to yeah. hear. Yeah, Very he was cool. a fan. He was a fan, you know, he was yeah. a fan of horror, you know, in every way. Mm -hmm. So good guy and uh, i wish i wish we could get more from him but hey he did leave us with a a, a legacy a wealth oh. of uh, some pretty good stuff some of the best things so. out there yeah and that's without a doubt that's i like and i kind of look the same way at john carl beekler where 
they would take a genre and do something singular with it. What John Carl Beekler did with Friday the 13th. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. Part seven's my favorite of the series because there's nothing like it in that series. It's got supernatural. It's got the slasher effect it's got what well, you know you got kane hotter playing jason for the first mm-hmm. time so now jason's right. got That's personality right. and the makeup in that is next oh level. it's so cool i mean so just cool. amazing work yeah um and when i met him actually i was just i i wouldn't stop talking about it i was like i i that movie it was the first one i saw in the theaters when i was you know a teenager and all of that and to just any artist like Stuart Gordon or John Carl Beekler, any of those guys who can take something and that in anybody else's hands would probably be a serviceable horror film, mm-hmm. but they take it and make something absolutely unique. And that's, and that's kind of why I do this podcast because that's what cult films are. They're, they're movies that are inimitable. Nobody is going to go out and, make a neil breen-esque movie (laughs) only neil breen is going to make a neil breen movie it's the only way it will happen and uh so you've got somebody like Stuart gordon it the loss of them is palpable to the world of cinema it just really is they're irreplaceable yeah yeah absolutely they're they're very unique and one of a kind you know yeah so that's so true so i know you're a cult movie fan um, yes. I, I, we've talked tangentially kind of through Julie about, um, I was a teenage zombie, a personal, that's, a, that's one no, of, that's right. I still, that's I right. still own the movie. I have an original movie poster of that, that I got <laughs> when really? I was a teenager. That, that's kind of a cool poster. I do remember the guy with like the, the, the varsity jacket. Yeah, he's got right? the varsity jacket. Yeah. He's got his arm around her. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that torn off face effect is still kind of cool. I so much like fun. It, yeah. it is. <laughs> do you so, remember that and it it, it it got a fucking criterion release so it did, <laughs> it did. wait are, are you serious yes criterion? Why? <laughs> all right i did not know that i'll have to look this one up okay so jesus so what, wait a minute i hope i'm not conflating that with another one you know what i may be fucking that one up I remember (laughs) I was on HBO. I was on HBO and it came up. Maybe it was under TCM. It was somewhere where I was like, why the fuck is this here? It was, (laughs) it was under one of their hubs. And for some reason, I'm thinking it was Criterion. And I'm like, how in the fuck did this movie get a Criterion release? (laughs) I mean, it's a great movie. It's goofy and fun, low budget, singular for sure. Uh, But I was like, maybe it was in the TCM section. I could just be talking out my ass right now. I don't know. Yeah, it's... uh... uh, <laughs> but Criterion aside- release be- be- between Straw Dogs and the Seven Samurai. I married a teenage zombie. Jeez. <laughs> oh, but in that in that world of cult film, what what are some of your favorites out there? I you know actually speaking of Criterion, I actually just picked up um, a film that I really admire a lot. And that is Carnival of Souls. Oh, um, I was just I, talking just, about this movie boy, yesterday. Where are you? Yeah, it's, it's fucking just, great. Uh, it is, it is. And, I, and I, I like the story behind it. The guy was, uh, you know, he just made a bunch of these uh, industrial shorts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he passed by this location, went, oh, shit, we've got to make a movie and raise, raise some money and made a goddamn movie. Yeah. That, to this day, people still talk about, obviously. It's a David Lynch movie. 
It's a you're, fucking you know what? David Lynch movie before you're David right. Lynch was making you're movies. Right. That's a, <laughs> I never thought about it like that, but you're right. That is a good way to put it. It's really, and I, I didn't, I mean, I'm not alone in that assumption. I don't want to sound like I came up with this idea, but I mean, it is when you're watching it, it you're just like, I could be watching Mulholland Drive right now. Yes. It's, it's that kind of existential angst throughout a film with, with characters Absolutely. that you empathize with, you know, mm-hmm. that you like. And um, yeah, uh, and it's so good. I, I, I mean, what they what they lacked in budget. I mean, they totally made up with uh, just a, a really uh, unique visual flair. I mean, it's got a style all its own. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it's it's I mean, and, and it was Ramiro before Ramiro was Ramiro. So, I mean, it came before a lot of other Great films. Point. You know, it's yeah, you know, but I mean, speaking of Ramiro, I mean, I, you know, um, I would, you know, God, I must have watched uh, Night Living Dead. I, I also picked it up on Criterion because Criterion had a a sale going on a yeah. few months back. So I snatched mm-hmm. up what I could. And I, uh, even though I have like three copies, I think of night of living dead, I picked up the criterion and it just, I appreciate it even more. I'm just like, man, this movie was so far ahead of its time, mm-hmm. you know? So the original night to this day, I know it's kind of, um, it's almost like the standard stock answer, but it's true. I really, really, you know, like I told you in the beginning of our conversation, love Ramiro always have, mm-hmm. you know, um, and speaking of Romero, I think another, would you consider Martin to be a cult film? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, then Martin's definitely on that list because I love Martin. I think it's uh, so good. God, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't argue it's his best, but boy, it's certainly one of his Real best. Close. You know? It is close. It I is. even like Knight Riders. The, the, I do too. It's just Knight fun. Riders is great. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, like a part two of just you and I discussing Night Riders. Um, oh yeah, I love Night Riders. <laughs> Night Riders is a is a great film. Yeah, and boy, and boy, the um, but Ed Harris <sighs> is in that one, right? Isn't Ed Harris he is. in that one? Yeah, and he's 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 giving it his all, man. Absolutely. He's giving it his all. <laughs> I gotta tell you though, it's kind of funny. I've heard you know everybody knows Ed Harris is kind of a hothead, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, in the commentary for Night Riders, you know, Ramiro's like, oh, he's like, you can see the dent in that. Uh, and the fuselage of the motorcycle he's riding, because Ed was like at the end where he's on his uh, motorcycle right before he hits the semi, you know, mm-hmm. spoilers. And uh, <laughs> and he was like, he couldn't like get to that place in his head where he wanted to be, I guess. He was like pounding on the fuselage. And then I remember seeing the Criterion release of The Rock. And oh, yeah. there's a scene, I don't know if you saw this, but there's some outtakes where he's on the phone and he's got to like, he's talking to the Pentagon. He's making his demands. Right. Mm-hmm. And general Hummel has got all the tourists on Alcatraz. He's going to fuck shit up. And he's talking, he's got to do all this, like spit out all this technical jargon. And he keeps flubbing his lines and he's going, mm-hmm. God, he's like, bang, bang, bang. And he keeps like slamming <laughs> the phone down. And you hear like Michael Bay in the back going, come on, man. Just like, yeah, let him fucking have it. Just like, <laughs> let him have it. And I'm, I'm just sitting there laughing, thinking like, Jesus. And I'm thinking, yeah, that, I, just, I just imagined him as Billy slamming his fist on that fuselage, you know, and I thought that was kind of funny. I, don't know. I, was, I was tying the two together. I'm like, well, he worked on bigger films, but his, his yeah. whole mental process was the same. Just, but yeah, I know. that was, that was entertaining for me to think of that. But and one, um, of the, and one of the first, this is, this is a, one of my favorite Romero stories that has nothing to do with his movies, but one of the first okay. con, I think it was the first con I ever took my son to may have been, he went into one of the, you know, we're in a 
some fucking hotel somewhere. And he goes into one of the bathrooms and he comes back out and he's just in awe. And I'm like, what the hell happened in the bathroom, buddy? (laughs) (laughs) He was like 14 or something. He goes, I was in the stall taking a shit. And (laughs) I see George Romero walk by through the crack and he got in the stall next to me. I was taking a shit next to George Romero taking a shit. (laughs) That is great. That's gold, man. Oh my God. I was like, write that in your diary. Another another man's shit is another man's gold that is wonderful <laughs> oh god that you can't i mean just who the hell can say they had an experience like that right awesome. <laughs> oh god that's terrific oh my god what was that in indiana was that a convention uh, in Indiana? Yeah. yeah i was here in okay. yeah i think it was a horror hound or one of those yeah okay 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 yeah right they do have the uh, horror hound there, don't mm-hmm. they? Is it, uh, the they didn't. They didn't of... this year, unfortunately. They ended up just doing the right. Cincinnati one. So the last oh, okay. one they had here was a couple of years ago, just before the pandemic, actually. So okay, I'll tell you what, man. A lot of those cult films and Ramiro films they got they helped me get through uh, that pandemic because yeah, I, I was just catching up on a lot of that stuff that maybe yeah. I hadn't seen in a while, and yeah, those boy. Oh yeah. man, I could just I've go on and on. So uh, much money on just like I wish I had never discovered like vinegar syndrome. I mean, I bought I they I may as well just give them my bank account number. I just everything they put out, I'm like, well, I need to own that. Why not? And then I've just <laughs> I've just been going through them all. And you know, it's the nice thing with with the pandemic, especially, is I'm just like, okay, I'm finally gonna watch the commentary track on Bat Pussy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Put oh, it man. off for a while, but I'm gonna throw it in now. That's fantastic. Oh god, I love that. Jesus. <laughs> That's great. Oh I, man. you know, we should we should do we I, I think I want to have you back and let's just talk movies, man. Um, yeah, all right. I actually I'd have an to. idea. I have an idea floating around in my head right now as we're doing this. I know somebody else who would be perfect for this conversation. I'll see if she's available. I think we could have a lot of fun just talking. Oh, yeah. That'd be very cool. Let's do it, man. Cool. I am all game for it. Cool. Well, I know you've got stuff to get to. So uh, thank you so much for your time. This has just been a fucking hoot. I uh, you're very <laughs> welcome, hope you've Dylan. enjoyed it. I really uh, feelings it. mutual, man. This was great fun. Thanks. Thank you so much. Well, that was a lot of fun. Uh, (laughs) I talked a lot more on this one than I tend to. Hope I didn't bore you guys. Uh, Just two dudes geeking out over things that they love and ended up being. But he was a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, We'll be having him back. Uh, It's going to be just probably more of us just geeking out over movies. Uh, Yeah. Hey, get out in the world. But do be careful. Like I said, I'm just getting over coronavirus. It's not fun. Be safe out there. If you're not vaccinated, please get vaccinated. Um, Take care of yourselves. And when you're out and about, be sure to take care of your servers because it's the Walter Paisley Movie House and we do not piss on hospitality. Talk to you next time.